Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is February 8th. Today we're going to continue in this week's Come Follow Me block. We're going to move right ahead into John chapter 3. And John chapter 3 starts out with a story of Nicodemus and him approaching the Savior in the nighttime. So let's take a look in these verses and see what we can learn. Starting in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So let's pause there just really quick and take a look at what we can tell or what we can learn here from these verses. First of all, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and as we've talked about in the past, the Pharisees were a group of people who were really, really obsessed with the law and making sure that the law was always obeyed. And they did that to the point where they went above and beyond the law. They created laws that weren't actually part of the law of Moses. Now, normally being obedient, being righteous, striving to do right is not something that's frowned upon, right? It can be a good attribute, a good quality. But the problem was with the Pharisees is that they became so obsessed with the law that it's like they were looking beyond the mark, meaning they weren't seeing Christ in the law anymore. If you'll remember, we learned from the Book of Mormon that the law of Moses was given to point people to the Savior, to help them see the Savior. And so it's so ironic and shouldn't be surprising to us that of all the people that met the Savior and interacted with the Savior, it was the Pharisees who almost struggled more than anyone else to see him for who he was as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And so here, Nicodemus comes, he's a member of the Pharisees, but not only that, it says he's a ruler of the Jews, which means he was most likely a member of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the ruling body of the Pharisees. They would make judgments on if people were keeping the law or not. And so here we have kind of a higher up among the Pharisees. And it says that he came to Jesus by night. That phrase should speak volumes to us when it comes to understanding Nicodemus and understanding how he's approaching the Savior right now. Now, I don't want to cast him in too bad of a light overall. We know that he eventually defends Jesus to the Pharisees. He brings spices for the burial of the Savior. But here in this moment, this isn't his time to shine. (laughs) He comes to him by night, and that's so telling He didn't want other people to see him interacting with the Savior. He comes by night as if he's ashamed, as if speaking to the Savior and learning from him was something to keep hidden. Now, it's interesting because he comes to him and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Now, if he had just stopped there, we would have thought, well, why is he so ashamed? He's got this testimony. That's great. But let's continue on and see how he obtained this testimony. He says, because no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So he's gained a testimony of the Savior through the miracles that the Savior has worked. And as we learn throughout the scriptures, miracles are not conducive to lasting conversion. Now, miracles can point us to the Savior and can inspire us to go deeper with our testimony. But if we're just relying on those miracles alone, that is like the seed planted on shallow ground, right? It's going to spring up fast and it's going to die quickly. 
It's not something lasting. And so it kind of makes sense that this testimony that he has of the Savior is a little bit shallow because it comes as a result of seeing the miracles that Jesus has worked. Now, there may have been a lot of things at play here. Perhaps he was concerned about his place on the Sanhedrin. But it made me think and it made me ponder if our testimonies are based firmly in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, it helps us to withstand the difficulties. It helps us to withstand the criticisms of the world that surround faith these days. President Monson taught clear back in 2009, My final plea tonight is that you have the courage to stand firm for truth and righteousness. Because the trend in society today is away from the values and principles the Lord has given us, you will almost certainly be called upon to defend that which you believe. Unless the roots of your testimony are firmly planted, it will be difficult for you to withstand the ridicule of those who challenge your faith. When firmly planted, your testimony of the gospel, of the Savior, and of our Heavenly Father will influence all that you do throughout your life. The adversary would like nothing better than for you to allow derisive comments and criticisms of the church to cause you to question and doubt. Your testimony, when constantly nourished, will keep you safe. My beloved young sisters, with the courage of your convictions, may you declare with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Lest you feel inadequate for the tasks which lie ahead, I remind you of another of the Apostle Paul's stirring statements from which we might draw courage. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. My friends, I testify that as we nourish our testimonies, that as we draw closer to the Savior and develop a deeper relationship with Him, we can withstand the temptations of the world or the criticisms that will come in a world which is more and more turning away from faith and from belief. With that nourished testimony, we will be able to stand up in the light and declare our belief of Jesus Christ rather than coming by night in a way that acts ashamed of our Savior and ashamed of our belief in Him. Nurturing our testimonies of the Savior, developing trust in Him is key to standing up strong in our faith. Now this chapter goes on and it continues to say in verse three, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I think that's really interesting because here we don't have any record of Nicodemus saying, hey, how can I see the kingdom of God? He just says, hey, you've got to be an important teacher because you've worked some really great miracles. And he's like, yeah, you're missing the point here. Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Unless you have that testimony stirring deep within you, you're not going to be changed and transformed. Verse 4 shows us that Nicodemus either had a weird sense of humor or really didn't get it. He said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now this idea of being born again gives us an idea of being changed, being transformed, starting our lives anew. But this time, rather than starting as man, as flesh, we begin a life in the Spirit. This shows us a transformation from the worldly to the spiritual. 
Something that I love about the Book of Mormon is that it often clarifies and expounds on doctrines that we learn here in the Bible. In Alma chapter 5, there's a beautiful sermon given by Alma about this idea of being born again and what it means to be born again. And in that, Alma is going to ask a bunch of different questions. And I love that chapter. I like to consider it kind of like a personal priesthood interview, right? He asks all these questions and it gives me an opportunity to ask myself those questions to figure out how I'm doing on being born again, being made new, being transformed by the Spirit. So we see that oftentimes being born again isn't just a passive thing. It's not something that we do once we get baptized and suddenly we're born of God and that's it for the rest of our lives. Rather, it's a process of changing and transformation and change and transformation always happen best when we are acting, when we are doing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Elder Christofferson once said, it is clear that spiritual rebirth originates with faith in Jesus Christ by whose grace we are changed. More specifically, it is faith in Christ as the atoning one, the redeemer who can cleanse from sin and make us holy. When this true faith takes root in a person, it inevitably leads to repentance. To be complete, however, repentance requires a covenant of obedience. This is the covenant expressed by Benjamin's people to do God's will and to be obedient to his commandments. Then, as promised, the Lord baptizes us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. I testify that as you continue in the path of spiritual rebirth, the atoning grace of Jesus Christ will take away your sins and the stains of those sins in you. Temptations will lose their appeal, and through Christ you will become holy, as He and our Father are holy. My friends, I testify that it is through Jesus Christ and His atonement that we can change that we can become new, and that when we work with that change, when we live the gospel of Jesus Christ, that change is more fast-acting in our hearts and more long-lasting in our lives. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.